Hey, we're at uh, Genesis 11 and verse 5. We got that far along uh, last week. And we're studying Babylonianism. Now, Babylonianism comes from Babylon. And Babylon is uh, uh, almost mentioned in Genesis 2 and 3 back in the garden, except it doesn't have a name of a city there at that point in time. But the Tigris and Euphrates rivers run through the Garden of Eden. So we know that it is it is not far away from there. Now, uh, historical Babylon was started being built by Nimrod and his particular uh, group of uh, ragamuffins, and they did this after the flood. We know that uh, they all came together. We get an amazing uh, table of nations in Genesis chapter 10 as to who went where and what their families were and who was related to who. And in chapter 11, we find out how they got spread out and how they got dispersed. Typical Jewish thinking. They give you the bottom line, then they tell you how it got there. Rather than Greek thinking, it gives you all the reasons and then gives you the bottom line. Now, <clears throat> we have seen in the um, first four verses, says the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. Now, as mentioned, Shinar is also known as ancient Sumer. Uh, when you study languages and the way they work, vowel points often, vowels oftentimes don't occur in a lot of these languages, and thus it's the case with ancient Sumerian, ancient Hebrews, that, uh, Hebrew, in that the vowel pointing came later because it was a traditional view of how the particular word was pronounced to describe what, and then they started putting vowel points with those. There were some historically long vowels, as in Hebrew, there's a long O that shows up. That was always part of it. But we find that the, you have S-H-N-R, which is Shinar, which is the uh, three root letters of Shinar. Sumer was S, M, and R. And as languages change, oftentimes the S-H and S, some languages didn't have a S-H sound. So the Jews had an S-H sound, but a lot of the others only had an S sound. So they couldn't, like Shibboleth versus Sibboleth, that great uh, password situation. But you have the... Uh, S-H sound, uh, easily converting to an S. M's and N's often interchanged. The R on the end of it often interchanges in Aramaic with a D. So you have different letters that just change around. And by that, you can form different words, different sounds, yet related. And that's what we, what we find here. Ancient Sumer was a uh, land between the Tigris-Euphrates River Valley right after the flood of Noah. And um, as we can see, you can see Babylonia here. And uh, on the map on your handout, you can see the Euphrates River. And then the Tigris runs to the north of it. This area in the middle is known as Mesopotamia, called the Cradle of Civilization. It's um, 
uh, where even anthropologists think that human life began to spring up was out of this particular part of the world. So even the evolutionists look at this as part of where, where things began. Now, it's interesting, if they just go to the Bible, they, they get an answer. And Genesis 10 and 11 is called the Table of Nations, Genesis 10, and it is the most descriptive um, of any Table of Nations there is. Nobody else has really got one. And chapter 10 is almost unique to the, to the Jews and to the Bible, and it's the best description of, of really who went where. Um, as you see him leave, you find uh, Ham had four sons. Last son was named uh, Mitzrayim. So what do you have? A grandson of Noah named Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim was the first king of the first dynasty of Egypt. He was known in Egypt as Mitzrayim, spelled exactly the same. Mishraim, M-I-S-H-R-A-I-M. He was known as Menes, M-E-N-E-S. And there was one other name that he had. So the Mitzrayim, um, anyway. He's a grandson of Noah. To me, it's just about as clear as it can possibly be made. First king, first dynasty of Egypt, was a grandson of Noah. And it all fits in with the way the Bible has laid it out. The name for Egypt, by the way, in Hebrew is Mitzrayim. <laughs> That's the name of the, the grandson. Also, the name of the country in Hebrew is Mitzrayim. So... Um, it, all these coincidences, they just say, are coincidences without any divine plan or sanction. And that, that's beyond me how they can do that. In verse 3, they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. So... This brick is evidently something designed and made by man because they had plenty of rocks. Rocks had been moved all around uh, with the flood, so they had plenty of rocks they could have done it with. They said, okay, we want to do something else because these rocks get a little too porous. We're going to have to cut on them. We can take this clay. We can put it all together. We can sun dry it. And then they said, wait a minute, let's bake it. So there's a little more technology involved than just old mud bricks that they put together and sun dry. Many of the cultures of the world, Matthias over in Nigeria right now, when they build a church, they build it out of mud bricks. And they have somebody and they bring all the, the clay in and whatever else they can mix up. They have forms. They put them in the forms. They mix it all up wet, put them in the forms, and let it cook in the sun until they get dry enough to turn into a building. Now, if they don't take care of that building... Uh, i.e. put plaster on the outside of it or something that will hold it together, it doesn't last very long because those dried bricks get hydrated in the monsoon rains and they come down because we've had to rebuild more than one of the church buildings over there. So that's, uh, that's happened. Anyway, they used brick for stone. They used tar for mortar. So they baked the bricks to make them harder, to make them waterproof in a sense and instead of plain old mortar they have used tar now where do they find out about tar how how did the what happened with the ark it was covered with pitch with tar it was a waterproofer and they said come there's a sense of urgency in this word we brought it out last week they said come let us build for ourselves a city 
Look at the us viewpoint in here. Because this is the basis of Babylonianism. But you have to pay attention to see it. And it says, Let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into the heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And that's context, because look at, pick up at verse 5 in that particular context. It says, And the Lord, this is Yahweh, and Yahweh came down. Yarad, the word here, Y-A-R-A-D-H. Yarad is a word that means to come down. I don't know if you want me to put these up there or not. I get nervous when I talk Hebrew and can't write it out. Yarad does mean to uh, go down. It's used 379 times, so it's a common word. This is the first usage of it. Now, a student of the word is interested in first usages. Because oftentimes, the first usage of the word determines what the word means. So, the word, you go with the first usage and don't change the meaning until there's reason to broaden the meaning, expand the meaning, to understand it differently. Like the word bara to create out of nothing. Well, Moses used it in the 1500s to describe create out of nothing. By the 500s, it says a man bara a field. Now, obviously, he didn't create the field out of nothing. He created the field, took the rocks out, tilled it, and all that. So it's used of, of activity other than fiat creation, creation out of nothing. But see, that's a thousand years after Moses used it. The problem is, some people try to read the 5th century reading back into the Mosaic reading, and then they end up with all kinds of wacky things. It says that he came down. It means to come down or to descend. It indicates a theophany. Uh, probably a lot like the visitor to Abraham who was walking on to Sodom and Gomorrah. That he came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. It says literally in the Hebrew, the sons of the man, Ha-Adam. Okay? So it's pointing out mankind with a sin nature. Adam takes us to the sin nature. The other word for man very frequently found is ish, I-S-H, a noble man. Uh, Greek has the same counterpart words. Uh, Adam goes with anthropos. Ish goes with aner, a noble man, a gentleman, one is supposed to have honor. So it says, the sons of the man had built, the sons of Adam had built, and it's pointing out subtly but clearly that they are in Adam. This is a sin nature function. Now, this is a result of our fallen nature in Adam. That's where I got the first point from, the sons of the man had built. They completed the tower, but not the city. How do we know that? Verse 8 says that they ceased from building the city. Okay? So they got the tower done, but they didn't get the city finished. They had violated his sovereign will. God's sovereign will was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so what did they decide to do? We're going to all come together and stay together. See how subtle it gets? I mean, it's 
God says something and then mankind just goes, well, how can we reverse apply this? How can we do it the other way? That was one of my old friend Tom Kurtz's favorite doctrines, the doctrine of reverse application. He said, you teach about arrogance, you have arrogance problems in your church. Teach about giving, the offerings go down. Whatever it is, it's reverse application. Now, they had violated his sovereign will because his sovereign will was to spread out, right? They were about to witness his overruling will because they didn't do it. The, um, the, the Jews, first century, did a similar thing. What did he tell them? Go make disciples of all the nations, right? Baptizing them. So what did they do? We're going to stay in Jerusalem until he comes back. Well, that went along for about a generation. Then God said, no, that's enough. I'm going to destroy Jerusalem and send you out to the four corners of the earth. Now, since they had their head in the heavens, the tower, a heavenly visitor chose to visit them. Now, see, he already knew what was going on. That's why I think this was a theophany. He said, okay, I'm going to come down. I'm going to take a look. But he's God. He already knows what's going on. Now, the Lord has granted mankind the freedom to pursue a course of action contrary to his will. Here, after the flood, is another event, a world-changing event, really, here at the Tower of Babel. Here is another event. And what is it displaying? Volition. God gave man the ability to choose against him. We've looked at the angelic conflict and refuted it just briefly on last Sunday. But one of the things that goes all the way through the history of mankind is volition. And you can find things like the flood of Noah. The flood of Noah, people decided to go against the name. What happens at the Tower of Babel? They decided to go against the name, right? The name above every name, but what did they want to do? Make a name, Shem, for themselves. Okay? They wanted to do it. They wanted to be their own God. So, <clears throat> it says in verse 6, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language, and... This is an interesting connector. It literally means and now. I'm not going to make a big deal about it, but it's just showing a sequence of things. And now, this is what they began to do. Now, the word do here is interesting because when they were working on a city, they were building it bana. Okay? That looks at the physically putting it together. They banad a tower. They banad a city. So now, when he shifts to asa, asa means to make something out of something. As comprised to, compared to bara, make something out of nothing. This one is make something out of something. And this is said, um, uh, they were trying to manufacture their own deliverance. Let, this is what they began to manufacture. Okay? And it looks more, by, based on its contextual comparison with Bana and these other verses, to be saying, this is what their thought process is. And now nothing that they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Now, these words are important because they didn't quite get them translated right. The word purpose is Zamam. Z-A-M-A-M. Zamam 
is um, a word that means to lie in wait. It means to plot. It indicates there's a conspiracy where one has brought false charges or one is a false witness. It's the first of 13 times that it is, that it is used. It's not really the word purpose. It's the word conspire to do. Okay? That better grabs what the word really is trying to say. Nothing that they conspire to do will be impossible for them. Now, <clears throat> this is the word batsar. B-A-T-Z-A-R. Actually, B-A-Z. There's no T in there. Bazaar. No, it is a Z. Excuse me. You don't... I don't know if you care or not, but... <laughs> It should be that letter and not that other one I had written up there. A Zadi, T-Z word. Now, Zade is used 37 times. It's the first usage of it. So that's why I love Genesis. Why I love, I've been exegeted it more than once. And every time I go through it, I go, these are really cool. I love these first usages. Because what they do is, is di dictate a context as you start going through the Scripture. And the word impossible, you'd expect a power word with impossible with a negative on the front of it. Yet this word means to cut off in the sense of gathering grapes or to cut off a piece of land by means of a fence or putting a wall up. <laughs> I'll give you put one on the southern border, you would bazaar it. <laughs> okay? means off limits. It's not impossible. That's an indicator of power. This word's an indicator of freedom. And, and, and nothing which they conspire to do will be off limits for them. Now, where were they headed? Wrong direction, right? They had already... They had already rejected God's sovereign will going to all the world. Okay? Populate the earth. That's, their, that's His sovereign will. This is the plan. They said, no. We're going to come together, stay together, protect ourselves. We're going to build a tower. We're going to make this tower waterproof. Okay? Think about this. Make this tower waterproof. And then... We're going to stay here. So they'd rejected his sovereign will. They'd come together as a collective unit, as one. And they were going against God. Now, <clears throat> the Lord's observations are recorded for all of history. He's giving it to us here as a, as a figure of speech where he came down, he investigated, he saw, of course, he's God, he's omniscient, he already knew everything they were doing. But he's, he's giving it to us in such a way as to know that, yeah, he was paying attention to what was going on. His permissive wills declared that nothing they conspire to do will be off limits for them. Uh, that means... Nothing they conspire to do will be off limits for them. That means like, you know, they might even get involved in ethnic cleansing. That could happen. They might get involved in cloning. They might get involved in space travel. They might get involved in weaponry. And yeah, that's what they're going to do. they got the freedom to do it. 
But just because we have the freedom to do something doesn't mean it's a good idea. See, if you're following God, He's all, all for it, is He gets the glory. But when you're following yourself, trying to save yourself, like they're trying to do, He says, I'm going to frustrate this. I'm going to give them the opportunity with their free will to start making good decisions. Uh, <clears throat> how about automobiles and airplanes? They'll be able to do it. If they were one language, he's saying they'd do it too fast and they'd get out of control. So he says, okay, I'm going to spread it all out here. They're going to have to figure out how to, um, how to work together. But they're going to have to learn each other's languages. They're going to have to learn to relate to one another in different ways. You know, we have the freedom to sin. It's just not a good idea. We have the freedom to jump off a cliff. Not a good idea. Yet some people figured out ways to kind of grow wings and jump off cliffs and hang glide all the way to the bottom. Some of those don't quite make it to the bottom. Anyway, this is a statement of divine operating policy, meaning that mankind is given permission to take technology, human good, and evil to new levels. And it's part of the angelic conflict. Part of the technology is starting to be seen in the burnt bricks because they have moved out of the uncut stones and they're figuring out ways that they can put them together and keep them from leaking. Okay? So there's a technological level there. Now, verse 7 is the solution. Come. This is the imperative, once again, of the word Yahav. Y-A-H-A-B-H. Yahav is a... It's the third usage of the word. We've seen it before. It's the word for urgency. It's a masculine singular. So it, address, it addresses... It, this is beautiful. Because <laughs> this is the exhortation from the Trinity seen as one. It's not... But then it says, let us go down, and it changes to a common plural. See, this is... The so-called divine mystery. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, yet one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, yet one. Let us manufacture man in our own image. Okay. Still, th this is what we are seeing here. The word is, um, let us go down. Yarod, the word that we just saw where Yahweh came down. Same word, Yarod. And uh, it's actually grammatical evidence of the Trinity. Where the come is a singular address, an exhortation to themselves, and yet the verb puts a plural in there. Let us go down and there confuse their language. Confuse is balal, B-A-L-A-L. Remember that old guy Belial? Sons of Belial, what do you think that might be related to? Confusion? Possibly. Uh, <clears throat> confused, this word used 43 times, and it's the first usage of it. It means to mix or mingle together by adding things into it. And that's what languages are. 
I just saw a list of some Indian languages today. Um, and I thought I knew quite a bit about languages, and I saw two I'd never heard of out of eight. Well, where did this come from? Hmm. It's amazing how many there are. I found out one of the languages six and a half million people speak. So it's not like it's a minor, minor tribal language. I spoke with a group a long time ago in India that were working on a translation, and they had uh, in the middle of nowhere in the tribal area, and they had 250,000 people that spoke the thing. And so you're going, what is this? And then all of a sudden we need this particular thing and this particular language, and I'm going, do they even make it in that language? Well, I think they've got it in a couple of hundred languages of that, that country, so I suspect that they do. But it says, confuse their language. The word language is Safa, S-A-P-H-A-H. That's a word that means lip. Let us confuse their lip. By doing what? Adding stuff in. Putting emphasis on different syllables. Okay. You, you can really change the language around. Have you ever tried to speak to a Brit? Have you ever tried to listen to one on the TV? Think of Magnum P.I. You know, back with, what was his name? The caretaker that was... Higgins. Higgins, thank you. Higgins was had a beautiful English accent. Of course, he was from Texas. Show you how good, a, how good an actor he really was. But you have to listen to them. People in India, whenever they start speaking, you you have to pay attention because you may get on the lift. You need to take the lift to the fourth floor. What is a lift? Oh, an elevator. See, because they learned the Queen's English. But they had they they speak like <laughs> one time we were picked up there, and and it was a new car. They didn't have any cars like this in that particular country anymore, and and we were going to get a ride in a Chevrolet. I went, what is a Chevrolet? <laughs> It was just different pronunciation. You can make different languages out of changing the emphasis on different syllables. Uh, when you get in some languages like Vietnamese, it's almost like a series of grunts. I don't even know how they, they talk. And the written language is mind-blowing. Because the, the written language, they can have like, like two letters here, and then they got four hash marks out around it. Accent marks. And depending on what accent mark is, is how you pronounce this word and what it means. And it depends on what family of languages that they, that they come out of. He says, let's go down and confuse their lip that they may not understand one another's speech. I just love this. Because God just solved a, a major problem. These people were steamrolling in the wrong direction collectively. And he said, yeah, I told them I'm not going to flood it again. I'm not going to wipe them all out again and start all over. And guess who's still alive now? Noah, Shem, or Pakshad, Sheila. It's probably just a young kid about now. These guys are still alive. So where are they in the group? What's going on? They're the old guys. 
They stopped learning from the wisdom of their elders is about the only conclusion you could reach because they were still alive at this point in time. So, <clears throat> confuse one another's speech. The overruling will of the Godhead decided to delete the existing language from their ministry, memory centers and install new ones. George. Yeah. We don't know that. He was a herald of righteousness for 120 years before the flood. Maybe he's trying to change their minds. I don't know. These are questions we can ask when we get there. But what we all we have to work with is what it, what it tells us so far. And it says the whole earth journeyed. Here they came. The whole earth journeyed down there. And they went to this place and they built this tower. Now, they built it collectively, but it still doesn't mean everybody bought into the system. So, if, it, if that everybody doesn't mean everybody built it, how does that everybody mean that they were all, literally every last human being in existence there together? Like, how can the word in one sense be exhaustive and not exhaustive in another sense? Well, why would it, why would it have to be? Because it's a generic word to begin with. That's what it sounds like. So, but, then, but if they were all building the tower, then how do we know that it switches back to, well, some of them may not have Well, because we look at the character of, of some of them we think is there. Noah, we can, Noah and Shem are probably the holdouts. But who knows what happened to uh, Sheila and Eber and, and the rest of that line. Because somewhere along the line, in those ten generations down there to the flood, the, the patriarchs had no influence on people. And then coming out of the flood, you've got, you've got Noah and Shem who went through the flood. And then, I don't know how long Shem... Uh, Arpachshad was born two years after the flood. Um, so you, you probably got Sheila and Eber that go along with that. But if they're the minority, they could be going along because they don't want to get out by themselves because they're too old to take care of themselves. And so they're going along, but not necessarily going along with the mindset that is there. I, I don't understand the point you're trying to make. I, I really... Certainly, together, then they may have been certainly helping build the tower. Um, 
But if they're not certainly helping build the tower exhaustively, then how do you know that maybe, you know, a handful of people said, I ain't going with you guys, and they just, you know, hung back and did whatever. They could have. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to argue that point. Well, you could say the vast majority did. A few stragglers get out there. It says the whole earth, the entire earth, journeyed down. So they they could have come in and been involved. Let us build uh, for ourselves a city. They may not have participated in there because it moved to the it moved to the us whose top will reach in and make for ourselves. That could be the collective speak that's in view there. But it looks like all of them went down there and they just kind of had a vote by their leaders by Nimrod. Nimrod was the guy that started building this city, and he was a, obviously a force. I mean, he was the great hunter before the Lord, and he, he started doing this sort of stuff, and then God said, that's enough. Uh, he started building, by the way, in this plane, he started building cities, if I remember Genesis 10 right. So you could have had a village over there with Shem and Ham and or, or Shem and Arpachshad and Noah, and they could have been over in this little village, and maybe they didn't participate in the tower. But as far as the vote goes with the people, and uh, basically Nimrod running the show, I think that's what, what happened. But they all moved out of Ararat. That's what it says. And they went into this area, but there were different cities being built. And so maybe that's the answer that it is. Okay? Um, and they're confused their speech the overruling will they, he, it appears what he did was delete the existing language from their memory centers and he installed a new one it's kind of like the Rosetta Stone program you can take Rosetta Stone and study Spanish and but your language is English but you can study Spanish and maybe you've learned, learned that and then all of a sudden that's all deleted and you have to you have another language that has been installed there so he like deleted one and overwrote it I mean a lot of different computer terminology we could use on this type of thing where he just overwrote the, the other one and when he did it he did it out of his omniscience in a masterful way because he used his overruling will not just to influence but to protect because they were going the wrong direction too fast and so if he could get them out of there Okay, then they're not going to progress with the same uh, speed that they were able to do. He's displaying grace to the rebellious because he, he could have taken them all out by fire. <laughs> I mean, that's still left for him. Uh, could have taken them all out by tornado or cyclone, but uh, at the same time keeping his word about not bringing another flood. God is not the author of confusion, 1 Corinthians 14.33. So the confusion of the universal language is a judgment on their confusion of soul. They're confused in the soul because they're trying to follow another God and save themselves. Who, if anything, it should have taught them is you can't save yourself. Then individual languages were not confused because people could communicate with people of their own family. They were able to 
And I think that's what part of what separated them out. They were in their family. God dispersed these things based on his omniscience. And he took the sons of Ham and he said, I'm going to take this family and the sons of Ham. This is what their language is going to be. And so naturally, if you're running around in a group of uh, a thousand people and you're trying to get some directions, you want somebody who speaks your language. So you're, you're going to congregate with them. And especially if it's the family unit and like it like it was back then in a lot stronger way, and then they start talking with them and they find out they can't talk with with uh, neighbor Smith or neighbor Brown down the road anymore because they speak another language. I told the people in India, I said, I think God put the Germanic languages up there in in uh, Europe. And he moved down into the south, into Africa. They had quite a few of their own languages. I said, all the leftovers ended up in India. I'm almost, and they just laughed because they, they know that. You know, what, what good was the gift of languages? Thomas landed on the west coast, went to the east coast, and I asked him how many language groups did he traverse going across that subcontinent. They said probably a couple hundred anyway. He didn't have time to stop and learn all those languages. So he walks into a village and he's speaking their language. Which right away draws a crowd. So he's able to tell them all the way across southern India to the east coast that, hey, I, I got news for you. We got a Messiah and this is who he is. So <clears throat> that's part of what God did. But it's interesting that God wants for himself people from every tribe and nation and people and language. So that's part of the job. John. Can you share the lineage from Noah to Nimrod? Noah to Nimrod. Nimrod. Um, it's not Noah to... It's, it would be uh, Shemem and Japheth. Nimrod, I think, came out of Ham. But I'm not, I don't remember right offhand. Ten eight Genesis ten is going to give you all the information we'll have on that on that table of nations. Brad. It's just empirical. It's it. We look at it and go. These people groups had genetics, and they spoke the same language. And it, to me, it's just it's looking from the outside in. But I don't find a verse that you're asking for that says he connected them. What I do find is that he distributed them. And what we do know is when he distributed them, they went with different genetic. They went genetically. You're George. Familiar. So we 
it would be um yeah i i would connect that with uh genetic definition i guess as as people progress through the different generations um i, I don't see any problem uh no, doing that no. Yeah, it's kind of a uh, mess. <laughs> We're well, my point was too. It's not just a prejudice in language; it's a prejudice in looks. I mean, it, oh yeah. As they spread out with their different languages and their different looks and their different cultures, that's how prejudice came about. That's just a total way to separate. Well, the, the genetics are. It's so interesting because. Um, Southern India has a Tamil tribe in the south and east corner. And the northern part of Sri Lanka, which is 22 miles away by water, which the Tamil from India, they know, moved into Sri Lanka. And they're, they're, they're Hamitic races. They, they have uh, darker skin colors. They're not white. They're not black. They're, they're in the middle. And the, the people in Sri Lanka, when I was first first there everybody looked the same okay and then I found out I asked, I asked our, our buddy from the wall up there I said why do they keep stopping you because he was Tamil 86% of the people are Sinhalese who are native Sri Lankans why do they keep stopping you well they know I'm Tamil what do you got a sign on your head? I didn't. I didn't. I mean, it took me a while. Now I see the difference. I can almost pick out a Tamil in Walmart. I mean, I, I can see what the difference is. But here is here is a different genetic connection that uh, it seems like you know God started this about just like we've got you know the dog and then. Two dogs, and out of the bara menology, that means that which was created. Bara created out of nothing. Mina is kind, the biblical kinds, which is each one according to their kind. This is what God created. Created two dogs. How many animals did Moses take on the ark? Trick question. Noah puts on there two dogs. They come out of the ark. Things have changed. There is no canopy. After the ark, all kinds of, of environmental things that could affect over a period of time different genetics. And you have how these two dogs came, you know, the Malamute and the Siberian Husky and the, all the different dogs out of there. Those are Baramans. So when Noah took these animals on the ark, he didn't have to take all of those animals. He just needed the two. That came out. So, how many animals did Adam have to name? See, that's something to think about because the time frame is he did it in a day. Hmm. How many were there? Well, do some quick calculations and you find out it wasn't 50,000. 
Okay? And that's part of why we get attacked and they say it's all a myth. It's no myth at all. There weren't that many species back whenever God created a dogs. Okay? He didn't have to name the wolf and all of its cousins and relatives. And that's a cat. Hmm. Okay. Out of that cat came. Maybe there were two kinds. I don't know. I'm not going there. That's far enough. Anyway... God put all this together and God's in charge of the genetics. And you go to Genesis later on and Jacob and you find about the spotted, spotted animals and the solid color animals and all that. God's in charge of the genetics. Okay, so I don't think genetics is pure, pure chance. What hooks up is all connected into his omniscience. So anyway, things became more defined and I think those languages did and then they spread out. I don't think the same number of languages... I think there's more languages today than there was whenever this happened at the Tower of Babel. Why? Confusion set in. You know, we keep getting languages pop up in the United States on the east and west coast. They speak stuff nobody else can speak and nobody should want to. Anyway, verse 8 says, So the Lord scattered. I like this word scattered. It's futz. P-H-U-T-Z, to disperse, to scatter. It's hiphil, which is causative. He, he did it on purpose. <laughs> hiphil imperfect. Uh, he scattered them. The them is the, is the population of the earth. Now, it's located at one place, and some of them stayed there. Okay, But the bulk of this group was scattered out to different locations around the earth. I think this is where they walked across the land bridges into different continents. And in the days of Peleg, on down the line from the Tower of Babel, the earth was divided. And it says, And they, which is the bulk of the population, stopped building the city. Um, the word stopped is gadal. They forsaked it. They left it off. So the Lord struck the arrogance with the physical problem because they're functioning in arrogance now. One of the key ways he gets people people's attention is to hit them with a physical problem. Earthquakes, tornadoes, floods, droughts, economic disaster. Read the law. Their different languages would cause them to congregate into groups where they could communicate. God who does things honorably and according to an organized structure 1 Corinthians 14.40, let all things be done decently and in order, chose to connect the language and genetics of families together. And he too is in charge of the genetics. The very thing they had feared, which was dispersion, had come upon them. Verse 4, lest we be scattered abroad on the face of the earth. Because what did God say? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The city building was no longer a worldwide effort, but was left to be finished by Nimrod and his family. Okay. Therefore, verse 9, all Kim, I love this, this phraseology, concerning thus. It sounds almost British, doesn't it? Concerning thus. Its name was called Babel. Babel. Used 262 times. In the Old Testament, it means confusion. 
Babylon is a major topic of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's referred to 12 times. Five times referring to historical Babylon. 1 Peter 5.13, referring to Rome and its confusion. That's typically the way that's understood. Six times in the book of Revelation, referring to prophetical entity. It says, its name is called Babel because there, Sham is the word pointing to a particular place, uh, not some kind of allegorical entity, but there, at that point, Shinar, plain of Shinar. The Lord confused Balal, our second use of this word that we just saw. He mixed it up. It's interesting, most of the usages involve mixing fine flour with oil for a meat offering. It's very clear about mixing stuff up. Hosea 7, 8 of Ephraim intermixing amongst the people. So it says, Confuse the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. So he sent them out of Babel. Table of Nations. Where did the 70 nations, I think it's 70 nations in Genesis 10, where did they come from? This is where they came from. The Hebrew name for city means confusion. Meaning confusion, for the city meaning confusion, reveals its apostasy. Uh, <clears throat> Babel means gate of God in Sumerian. And also the place of the seed of life in ancient Sumerian. The dominant feature of this city was a ziggurat like the one named Entomenanki, which means house of the foundation of heaven and earth. Now, there are various arguments. This ziggurat still around. Various arguments over the time in which it was built. Some say it was built in the 6th century B.C. and was the basis for the biblical story. Obviously, those people don't believe Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Okay? But this is what liberal scholars do. The history is interesting to read um, about this because there's not a lot of agreement. Um, it's interesting that such notable people of ancient history as Sennacherib, an Assyrian king, Nebuchadnezzar, a Babylonian king, Herodotus and Alexander the Great had contact with this ziggurat and wrote about it. So it was quite a phenomenon. The last reference to it was Antiochus I, who ordered the destruction. Now, the main gods were Marduk and Nabu. Later, the city contained 180 shrines for Ishtar, more than 1,800 niches, pedestals, or sacred places for other deities. Six elements of Babylonianism you can kind of look for. Human intellect turns against God. Second one, human wisdom devises a way to save itself. What is Babylonianism? It's against God to begin with. It devises a way to save itself. So rebellion against God establishes a new object of worship. Remember, they're going to make for themselves a name. Make for themselves their own God. Make themselves into a God. It'll work either way. 
Fear is used to promote collectivism. Come, the word for urgency. Let's do it. Let us build. Let's hurry. Let's get it done so we can protect ourselves. Collectivism is seen as salvation. Lest we not be scattered over the face of the earth. Do you see that in some of the worldviews we've been looking at? Marxism. Okay. Uh, uh, secular humanism. Uh, what are some of the other ones? Many gods is where they ended up with. The new spirituality. Islam. A counterfeit God. Make for ourselves a name. Maybe they wanted another singular God. They use it in the singular. Although that's not necessarily what it, what it means. Um, huh. We can save ourselves. It is actually mass confusion. Why? They're trying to redefine the name. Give a new meaning to the name. Just the little subtleties in there tell us about Babylonianism. When redefinition of words become commonplace, the result is confusion. We've seen it in our own nation. The politically correct and all this political correctness that goes along with it. And people in our country and around the world are paid a whole lot of money to twist words around. Depends on what is means. Anyway. God sees this as evil. He knows what it is. They don't fool Him. Twist all the words around. You're not going to get it by Him. He frustrates it. One day He's going to judge it. But He gives it freedom to function part of the grand scheme of you really have the right to choose he gives it the freedom to function but it doesn't mean he makes it easy righteousness shouldn't make sin easy it's all related to the angelic conflict it's all tied in there as to why we are here the gifts of languages and interpretation were given to reach the dispersed of Israel he was then to reach the entire earth. The gospel is for people of every tribe and nation and people and tongue. So, why did it need to be that way? Because of the Tower of Babel. On the dispersion. Anyway, next week we're going to look at some historical Babylon of yesteryear. Uh, we might take a quick picture of historical Babylon today. I'll show you some pictures of it and show you how... Don't hold your breath about historical Babylon being rebuilt. Um, we're going to have another picture. I may have it right here with me of uh, Babylon. I don't know where that went. Let's try this. Shoot myself with a laser beam. Um, well, this is not a good picture. Babylon straddles the Euphrates River. You know that movie, A River Runs Through It? Not the same river, but a river runs through Babylon, Euphrates. That's important when you start trying to identify the Babylon of the New Testament. Because the Babylon of the Old Testament, we understand geographically, it's been understood where it has been since the dawn of time. And yet, people read that and they, they think... Jeremiah 50 and 51 is talking about historical Babylon, and it cannot be talking about historical Babylon based on the geography. 
It's got to be somewhere else. So, anyway, it's interesting how people get allegorical in that are normally literal. That's for another class. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day, for your mercy and grace. Thank you for all you've done. We ask you to, that you have, uh, we thank you, you bless this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the table of nations. We thank you for telling us how it came about. Father, I pray we will remember these points and be able to identify it because one of these days you're going to bring judgment upon the uh, Babylonian viewpoint. Father, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.